Okay. Um, who was here two weeks ago when I was sharing? Yeah, so many of you will have heard my message from that week. Um, uh, there's probably a few of you that haven't. Um, so I'd encourage you to listen to that one if you can on the podcast. Um, I'll recap just a couple of bits because this is really part two of last time. Um, you'll remember that time escaped me and uh, I still had many, many pages of notes left that I hadn't shared with you. So uh, I'm going to carry on this morning. Um, if, um, uh, if you've got a, um, an alarm on your phone or something, if you can just let me know when we get to about 10 past 12, um, that would be awesome so that we can somehow land this thing rather than just um, belly flop it like we did last time. Um, so uh, let me just recap a couple of bits from last week. Uh, the, um, I made a statement. I read something out um, just to help us be really clear on what we're doing. Um, this is called Union in Christ, broadly. Um, my bracketed thing is that this is an introduction to men, women, marriage, and church leadership. Um, so it's a big old monster of a topic. In fact, it's probably many topics that we're trying to bring under one umbrella that's just quite large um and uh so i'm going to read this statement out again for those of you who missed it and uh, and then i'm going to just remind us of a couple of bits from last week before i get cracking um on this week's stuff um is that all right Yes? Okay. So let me just read this. Um, Oasis has modelled a fairly liberal view in many years in terms of gender roles within the church, especially in terms of women speaking. In truth, a more liberal position than New Frontiers, which has traditionally held a more conservative view. Um, New Frontiers, for those of you who don't know, was the family of churches that this church was planted from and was part of for many years um, until about four years ago. Um, that said, Oasis has always maintained a complementarian view that men have the final authority and therefore only men can be elders within the local church. I would like to say from the beginning of this series that as elders over the last few years, each of us has felt increasingly uncomfortable with this view for a number of reasons, which we will discuss in the coming weeks. Our conviction through much prayer has been that we would like to challenge what has been the status quo within Oasis and to move forwards to a model where we have no imposed hierarchy based on gender or anything else. All people can be honoured for who they are and the gifts we recognise they carry. Is that all right? I got similar enthusiasm last time, so that's it's good. Glad we're consistent. Um, I did take quite a bit of time last time just to just chat through um, our... Um, wanting to do this right because it is a topic which um, is uh, it stirs a lot of things up for people um, and obviously there has been um, and still is a very clear teaching which is complementarian that men and women um, although being equal in terms of value um, have to have very specific roles um, uh, and therefore men are in authority over women um, and that view is still very widely and actually fondly held by people who um, I respect and also who love Jesus and want his church to be all that she can be. So navigating a path through is quite a challenge. Um, also, actually, in terms of bringing us together. And so um, 
I'm aware that people will have different views around the place and uh, I want to make this something that actually we come through to a healthy Holy Spirit-led perspective on um, rather than this being something that polarizes and divides. Does that make sense? So we're going to do it carefully. Um, One of the things that I talked about last week was what our goal is in this. Um, For the world, the goal would be equality, that um, boys can do and girls can do just what the others can do. And uh, it all has to be about equal rights and equal votes and equal equality and whatever other equal things you can think of. Um, And uh, Now, there's elements of that which are true, but I don't want equality to be our goal. Um, equally freedom um, we can make this about freedom that actually for years there has been oppression um, that there's been um, oppression from men against women and actually if where the spirit of the sovereign lord is there's freedom then therefore there has to not be oppression so therefore let's just have freedom everywhere and um, throw away all um, uh, constraint or anything else and let's all just be free um, and I don't. I, and freedom is fantastic. Obviously, we want to create free environments um, where people are equipped to make excellent choices. Um, except, let's not make freedom the goal either, because I don't think that works, and I don't think that's biblical. Um, so, what else is our goal? I want to stress that I think that our goal is to be unity. Um, that's the goal. That's what Jesus prays for in John 17, as we'll see in a moment. Um, that's what went wrong in the beginning, as we'll look at in a moment. And so the outcome is we want unity. And what Jesus accomplished at the cross was to lead us to a place of unity. And we now get to play our part in seeing that unity fulfilled on the earth and on into new heaven and new earth. Okay? To be honest, I could sit down at that point because that's essentially what we're going after. I landed last week with this verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Um, I wanted to say that we've, over the last decade, um, we have experienced a lot more in terms of understanding the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, haven't we? Um, and that's been a fantastic thing and that is a absolutely key fundamental um, foundational part of who we are as a group of people and of the gospel and you know the christian message it's it's the gospel for heaven's sake um uh equally we've had a growing awareness of the love of the father the father's heart message over the last 10 20 years has been huge in the body of christ in in being um released being spoken into people having revelation of who he is as our dad um and uh now i want to say that that's equally as important. Um, but now I want to draw our attention to this, which is that there is um, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit for us to have a fresh revelation of. And um, I feel like I'm speaking this out, not just for us as a church, but to the body of Christ. Um, this is a huge, huge central part of what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing, is doing over the next however many years until Jesus comes back. Um, it's why words like honour culture cultures of honor and love have become prevalent in our language is because the holy spirit is putting his finger on how we relate to one another how we get on um, how we receive each other the gifts that we have all of that kind of thing Um, and so it's vital that we are awakened to what fellowship looks like according to the holy spirit and not just by man's standards of what it could look like does that make sense um, so uh, that's where I managed to land last time. 
And uh, so I just want to um, crack on, if that's all right. Um, I want to talk about male and female. Um, and uh, at the beginning of all of this stuff, um, I want to say that male and female is really important. Um, and uh, we live in an age where there is, I believe, a demonic agenda to go for gender neutrality. Yeah, you may well have seen that, picked that up. Certainly it's, it's prevalent in our society and on our television screens and in our pop culture um, to go for something which is other than God made the male and female. And so I want to put a stake in the ground um, that male and female is how we were created. And uh, it's vital that we put that as a foundation in right at the beginning of this, these things. Um, to not do that means that we go for equality again. And things just become merged and blurry and the lines are distorted. Um, and it, I'll explain in a minute why it's not good. <laughs> but it's not good. Um, so, um, let's start in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Um, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There you go. All right? There we go. Right, Genesis 2 says this. This is another account, a bit more detail. Um, then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to a place to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. So while he slept, um, he took out one of his ribs closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God took um, had taken from the man he had into a woman, uh, sorry, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. I love the way that Adam said, at last. <laughs> um, I felt like that on my wedding day. Um, did you ever feel like that <laughs> if you got married? Like, at last. <laughs> Finally we get to be married. Um, been waiting all this time. Um, and uh, um, anyway... Um, do you know, in the beginning, before the beginning, in fact, the Bible says, there was Trinity. There was Trinitarian relationship. There was union. There was the thing that actually defines all relationships, all union, all companionship, all 
of that essence was all one in the beginning. There was Trinitarian relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three and yet one, were together in this perfect loving union. And um, I want to argue that there was no... um, no division, there was no hostility, and there was no hierarchy. Um, the early church fathers back in the first few centuries referred to them as the great dance. And it is a beautiful picture. And it's one that we cannot really comprehend with our little, little brains. And yet, and there is such mystery attached to what this was, who they were as the beginning, um, and yet they were. And they always were. And um, that was the context, that was the heart that they spoke out to bring us to life and bring us as humanity into that existence, that unity, that oneness. That's what we were designed for. And everything else is inferior to that. We were, we've been designed for oneness, oneness with them and oneness with ourselves, with each other. And that was the picture right at the start. And, um, do you know, we were destined to experience that same unity, that same love. We were also destined to be free from all separation, um, to be free from all fear and free from all shame. Um, Adam and Eve were naked. Because there was no shame. There was nothing to hide. And um, don't worry, we're not going to get to the end of this series and you, you, know, you can keep your clothes on. That's all right. Um, you can all relax. Um, but that's what we were... That was our origin. That's, that's the beginning. That's where we began. And... Um, do you know it was only us, it's only us as men and women who were made in God's image and in his likeness. Um, it says in verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation. Um, God said, let the waters, in verse 20, swarm with swarms of living creatures. In verse 24, it says, let the earth bring forth living creatures. But then it gets to verse 26, and God speaks to himself. And he says, let us Make man in our own image. If you don't think that you're special this morning, you've really got to catch up with this. Because this has just taken you from thinking that you are like anything else on the planet to actually the pinnacle of his creation. And we're made to reflect his image and his likeness. Now, do you know what? It takes both of us to do that. I am a man, um, and, and some of you are ladies, and it takes both of us to be able to reflect, truly reflect, the likeness of the one in whom we've been made. Anything else is a distortion. Anything else leaves something missing of who he is and how he wants to be represented in the earth. And it's really important that we get that, that we grasp that, that we see the centrality of it right at the beginning of Scripture. Um, 
I wrote this, it takes the fullness of us to reflect the likeness of them. I kind of like that. Um, now, I'm just going to skip through. I've, I'm going to do some stuff next week on what it is to be male and what it is to be female, um, other than just bodies, of course. Um, but um, I'm going to skip on just for now, just for the sake of time, because I want to be able to learn this well. Um, there's this point in creation in Genesis where there is this unity and this oneness that God and man are experiencing together. And man's rejection of God at the fall broke that oneness in every way. Just smashed it to pieces. And sometimes we now, because we have our Bibles and many of us have been Christians for numbers of years, we can go, oh yes, Genesis 3, that's where the fall happens, and then everything, you know, the, the stories go on, and we kind of see it in chronological order, and yet this is the most devastating thing that has ever, ever happened. And sometimes the enormity of what was created and then what was destroyed just gets missed, because we're just over-familiar with the devastation and it it somehow doesn't resonate with us as deeply as it probably should do now i know we weren't all there however many thousands of years ago so i'm asking us to to bridge a gap but i'm asking that actually we would see the care at which god created this thing in the first place you know, we have got amazingly high-definition televisions, haven't we, that enable us to see the natural world as has never been seen by previous generations. And you look at some of these programs and you look at the intricacy at the way this world has been put together, and it's awe-inspiring, rightly so, isn't it? It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And that's only the stuff that we can see. You'd see it from his perspective. It looks even more glorious. And it goes on and on and on. And um, there's something. And, and for him to do all of that and to set us like the most precious gem, the most precious stone in that setting. And then for us to just glibly gloss past the fall and not see the shattering that took place in that moment, the devastation of it. I'm not trying to conjure up emotion for the sake of it. I'm trying to say, look, let's enter into what this is. Let's enter into who we are and who we are linked to and, um, uh, and see it afresh. Um, this is what happens in Genesis 3. Um, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. At that moment, shame entered the world there'd never been shame it never existed but in that moment shame entered the world for the first time and it's horrendous it's heartbreaking and for the first time ever there's division man and woman are now divided and that's it they're separated and those loincloths represent 
something of what that divide was. Can you feel the, the violence of it, the, the offence of what happened in this moment? And, um, and then it goes on, um, verse 10, and man says to God, I heard, um, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. Fear is now in the earth. There'd never been any fear. There was perfection. There was security. There was um, oneness, richness. There was confidence. There was everything that exists in purity itself. And now there's the ugliness of fear in this beauty that God's created. So now Trinity and humanity are divided. Shame, fear, and a consciousness of self over unity are now present. Do you know our original origin was that our consciousness of self, our idea of ourselves, we were only to see that through a lens of togetherness, of oneness. That's how we were designed to be made. And now that lens has been distorted, it's been destroyed, and suddenly there is a consciousness of self that is other than how we were created. You want to know the origins of loneliness and depression and mental illness? It's all here. This is where this begins, because it's not how we were created. So what follows is God expressing to humanity what will now inevitably follow um, there's three specific things. God, um, there's a curse um, and, um, uh, that God places on the serpent. And then um, there's the implications for man and there's the implications for woman. And I'll pick up on those in future weeks. But there's one bit I just want to pull out right now this morning just to kind of build on what I'm saying. Um, there's this moment where God says to Eve, to woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Um, that's the traditional translation of it. Um, this verse is, it would appear, um, uh, being hotly debated at the moment amongst theologians. Um, last year, the ESV guys produced an update on their version of this verse. Um, and they said that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What the guys with the original version were saying in terms of your desire will be for your husband um, and he will rule over you. God wasn't saying, you're going to be pro your husband. It's the same essence that you see in the next chapter in Genesis 4, where God is talking to Cain, and God says, be careful, because sin is for you. Sin is, is crouching at your door, and he's coming for you. It's the same word that's being used. So this isn't a for as in being pro. This is a for as in um, wanting to oppress, wanting to dominate, wanting to overrule, wanting to be at odds with. And so that's why the ESV guys are wanting to tweak it and suggest that actually um, your desire is going to be contrary to your husband because it's, they're trying to suggest that there is um, an opposition at that level. Do you see what I mean? In truth, it, it doesn't matter too much. What matters is there's the division. There is the split. That actually that, the, this union between man and woman, which was supposed to reflect Trinity so well, is now not. 
and there is now the cast as the die has been set as it were for the pattern of human relationships from then on in and um does that make sense um and um that is the root of where evil then was empowered right there in this situation um that's it in its simplest form that the liar was empowered and our unity was destroyed um the gender relationship which began as one flesh became battle of the sexes which as history shows women would lose patriarchal societies have been the dominant model throughout history and our thinking has been so molded by this that at times we are still unable to see what's wrong with the picture thing is this isn't just a battle of the sexes our unity was destroyed so actually our relationships full stop were affected and um you know all all mythology and um uh, all anthropology so the study of the formation of society um as well as biblical teaching all of it goes back to the formation of our history is in violence there isn't an example out there which doesn't show our history being rooted in violence and what you see in this break in our union right at the beginning then in the very next generation you've got the sons Cain and Abel ultimately in total violence murdering each other or Cain obviously murdering Abel and so you see this violent pattern is now intrinsically linked into humanity and then obviously our history continues through and the the extremes of the oppression and the violence um are seen through our history in in all realms so between um in terms of religion in terms of slavery and control and I want to add in there the young and the old and the male and female and you can think of the examples that our history is littered with where those different groups um where violence and opposition and because of disunity exists um and the thing is that's the world that Jesus was born into you know point where there is huge political spiritual religious tensions um uh obviously where um the old are killing the young literally the babies are being slaughtered at that point um uh you can look at other examples of history where human sacrifice is is built into their cultures um and so that's the context that Jesus is coming into and he comes to say that everything is going to change that that which got destroyed in the beginning is going to be restored and so this is what jesus says in john 17 he's praying to his father and he says i do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me the glory that you've given me i have given to them that they may be one even as we are one i in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you loved me that even sounds like a rhythm of a dance doesn't it 
as you read that out, it's just such a stunning um, prayer, such a stunning thing that Jesus was speaking out. And it's so clear in terms of what is heaven's intent, isn't it? You, you can't argue with it. Do you think after reading that, that Jesus wants any disunity between us? It really doesn't. Um, so the unity of Trinitarian life has been made available to us through the cross as the corrupted power of the fall was broken. So now with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a choice to partner with him to see this unity manifest in our generation for his glory. Um, I, uh, and that, I guess that really is the kind of where I'm coming at all of this stuff from um, is that I, I, f- I feel like I'm seeing quite clearly that, that that's the point. <laughs> that's the point, is that we get to partner with him to see this prayer answered. And um, uh, Paul says it like this, For in Christ Jesus, this is in Galatians 3, um, For in Christ Jesus you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now I don't believe for a minute that Jesus is promoting gender neutrality in that, because that wouldn't make any sense with the rest of Scripture. But what it does reveal is that those, those dividing lines, those things that we sought to separate, the areas where conflict, where that violence has occurred the most, they're not going to exist anymore. That there is a oneness in Christ that comes about because of him. Does that make sense? Um, so Robert Hodgkin was with us um, over the summer, and I got to spend some time with him, which is always really encouraging. And uh, I was just catching him up on our any kind of a year's worth of news from uh, from us, and uh, um, he was getting more and more excited about what I was sharing with him because he had this verse rolling around in his head, and he was thinking about us as a church and what we're involved with, what we're engaged with against the backdrop of this verse. And he just looked at me and he said, "You have no idea how prophetic you are, do you?" And I thought. Um, no, I don't think we do, but I hope you're going to tell us. Um, and uh, so he just started to unpack it, and he was saying, look, um, he was thinking about this um, this verse where it says there'll be neither Jew nor Greek, and he said, what you guys are doing with the URC is coming against denominationalism. And this Jew or Greek thing, and you see it in Scripture, you see Paul dealing with it in Corinthians, where there's guys going, you know, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Christ. You know, there's this sense of division, there's this sort of um, denominational thinking that, that, that Jesus is wanting to wrap us all up in him. That there's room for, for the Jew, there's room for the Gentile to come in. And he's saying, so what does it look like in your context? Well, actually, in the UK, it looks like breaking down denominationalism. And so it was fascinating for Robert to say, actually, God has positioned you guys to be a part of that, to minister into that, to actually see what does it look like to see life and revival come across the denominations, 
to no longer just think that you have it right and therefore revival is going to come through us and through our network and you know because actually food bank has illustrated that there are a lot a lot of people who are sincerely in love with jesus and are aching for a move of god in our nation and so the arrogance of hiding behind we're right and everybody else is wrong just kind of has to fall away because what jesus is doing is saying look there is now neither Jew nor Greek, nor this denomination or that denomination or this stream or that stream. What Jesus is saying is there's a river now, not streams. There's one river. And we get to be a part of that and we get to see a... a, a and I'm not suggesting for a minute that, that we're the only ones that are going to be bringing this, but I'm just saying that Jesus wants us to play our part big or small as it is he wants us to play our part and um uh robert was talking about the whole slave and free thing and he was he was talking about awesome thank you i love that big clock i should really download just show everyone the big clock can you see paul's big clock on his phone it's really helpful for me at the front um uh yeah, he was talking about the slave and free thing. And obviously that looks like different things through different generations. And obviously, sadly, we still live in a world where there is slavery. And uh, we, we need to be partnering with God in seeing real, you know, that version of slavery <coughs> eradicated. Um, the, the, those that are campaigning for those sorts of issues and social justice um, is absolutely central to the gospel. Um, but what about the division between young and old? Because there's, there's also division there. And, you know, we have a, a society where actually older people are not valued in the way that they should be valued. There is a disregarding of, of older people. And, and <laughs> there's some ripples. Um, but equally there's a despising of youth. And that's not okay. And one of the beautiful things about, um, about the church, and actually this church, more than ever before, is that we have such a spread now in terms of our age groups. And we have such an opportunity to actually experience this Holy Spirit-led fellowship where, where older people are actually honoured and received and welcomed and given a voice. You know, I loved it this morning, John, when you shared. And the thing is, our temptation can be, oh, we should rush on. We, we you know, oh, the clock's ticking. We should probably do the next thing. And we've got this and the kids have got to go out. But actually, there's such a beauty in us being able to see what, what God is doing from your perspective. It's just stunning. And there's a, there's a glory on it that we get to step into. And again, what Robert was saying is, look, what you're doing with the URC church is another picture of that. That there's, there is an elderly group of people who came to us a year and a half, two years ago. They didn't really know what they were coming to us for other than they'd heard from God that the Holy Spirit was going to do something in that place and um, wanted us to be involved. And we've had to unpick that and work that through. But in all honesty, that message isn't going away that hunger, that desire for the Holy Spirit to do something and to involve us is still there. And so it's, a, it's very much a door that's been opened to us. And I want us to see 
you know, what about rich and poor? You know, we are an, an affluent group of people. On the whole, you know, there's, there's, there's affluence here. Um, and we're going to take Oasis into a context where actually um, it's not as wealthy an area of Chelmsford as this area is. Because God's wanting to do something in terms of bringing us together to create unity. Um, and then male and female. Um, I believe that God is not looking for us to make a decision on whether we go for complementarian theology or whether we go for egalitarian theology. I think he's wanting us to find what it is to have a kingdom perspective on male and female. And there's a great book that I'll recommend to you, um, uh, which is called Neither Egalitarian or Complementarian. Um, and it's basically trying to say, look, is there another way of looking at this debate? Because the problem is that the debate settles either way on, on rights and on who can do this and who can do that. And the problem is, is it's kind of missing the point that we're supposed to be one. It's not an... It's supposed to be this kind of either or you can you you can you can't kind of discussion. It's it's supposed to be that there is oneness and that there is honour between us. Um, I'm going to land this. I've just got one thing that I'll just slip in because I'm too excited about it to um, uh, to save for next week. Um, one of the um, one of the things about um, the complementarian stuff. There's a lot of teaching on masculinity and femininity from a complementarian camp so you'll read a lot of stuff guys like John Piper um, his stuff um, is desiring God stuff there's, there's a lot of stuff that's coming from that school of thought and there's brilliance in it and there's lots to learn from it so I would, I would still recommend it um, uh, but at the same time there's not much that's actually yet been written from a complementarian view that I'm finding um, on male and female but I just had this thought one of the, one of the things about male and female is um, this idea of um, um, uh, what's the first um, initiation and response and so the complementarian view is that because men are born to lead, therefore men initiate and women respond. And they obviously like that as an argument and they can root that in different, um, different things biblically. But I was looking at, and, and the argument goes that actually because, because Adam named, because man named woman, um, therefore man is in authority over woman. Now, the egalitarians would come back and say, well, hang on a minute. There's no evidence that just because man named the animals that he was then in authority over them. So why is there this, where's the logic that pulls that through? So, I mean, you can pull that one apart. I'm quite happy for this to be discussion, you know, after Sunday mornings. I'm sure this stuff's going to stir things up for you, and I'd want to encourage you to go away and read things for yourself. It's really, really healthy to do that. My only thought was this. What if when Adam was naming woman, which incidentally, um, man, the, the, the name Adam is of the word ground, so ground and Adam, it, it's, it, they're, they're very linked as words because God was, was wanting to draw a, a, um, a, a, a connection between you know, 
this is you, this is where you came from, and actually now you're going to work this, you're going to cultivate this, you're going to beautify this thing. And so when man then is naming woman, my thought yesterday as I was just thinking this through and, and chatting it through with Leo was, what if he wasn't trying to oppress her by giving her a name? What if he was actually calling her up? Because he said at last, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So what if in his heart wasn't to actually, I'm going to name you and therefore that's going to keep you down? What if it's actually to call her up and invite her in? You see, God didn't take a bone out of Adam's foot and create a woman with it. There's lots of bones in your feet. He probably could have done that, but he didn't do that. Interestingly, he didn't take a bone out of his head either. He took a bone from here. And I wonder if there was something in Adam of calling woman up to his side. We're going to look at what the word helper means next week. Um, Just to chat that one through. But what if he's calling her up to come to his side? I don't know. It it just um, sat well with me last night with me and Leah. We're chatting it through. Um, I'm going to pray and we're going to we're going to land it. Is that all right? Um, Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for being with us. I want to thank you that um, there is so much that you want to lead us on and lead us in. And uh, so, Lord, I just want to um, thank you that you are secure right now um, in your um, being head of the church. And I want to thank you that um, you are keen to lead us forward and we submit to you. We want to pursue you. We want to have a heart that's after yours. So Lord, I just want to um, pray for all of us that we would consider how do we engage in bringing this world back to unity? How do we answer your prayer in John 17 that we would see that unity established on the earth, that it would be restored to the way it was in the beginning? Lord, that we would be able to reflect you in such a way that a world who don't know you, that their only logical response would be that you are there, that you exist, that you love them. Thank you, Father. Amen.